Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to get to teach to you all this morning. Again, we're going through a wonderful summer study on who the Holy Spirit is and what he means for our lives. And if you were able to join us last week, Dean actually walked us through the first half of Romans chapter 8. And this morning, we're going to pick up right where he left off. We're going to be looking at what does it mean for us to be children of God? How should that affect our lives? And how does the Holy Spirit lead us in that reality? So if you want to join with me, we'll be in Romans chapter 8, reading from verses 12 through 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to follow on screen with us, or there's Bibles in the back. But join with me now as we approach God's Word together. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we prepare ourselves. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for another wonderful opportunity to come to your word. I pray that your spirit would speak to us, and I pray we'd have hearts willing to listen. So meet us here today, Lord, as we come before you as your children. Amen. What does family really mean to you? Perhaps when you hear that word, you think of the people who know you the best or some of the people who have been through every season of life with you. When I think of family, I actually think of all the funny and embarrassing stories about my childhood. I think about how we as a Han family were the kind of people who would willingly go do group workouts on vacation, at a public beach no less, where everyone else could see us. I also remember how my mom would read to me growing up and how she never emotionally recovered from old yeller. Uh, don't tell her about where the red fern grows because it's way worse, I've heard. Um, I also remember how me and my dad would always watch college football together and how the day I became a Georgia Bulldog fan broke his heart because he was a Gator fan. Um, but I also remember just how in the day-to-day -day my family was there for me. And I know that was a blessing for me, something that I definitely took for granted at times. It wasn't until I went off to college as a starry-eyed freshman that I realized how much my family meant to me. I quickly began to miss my dad's advice, my mother's encouragements, and even my sister's sarcasm. I really missed them. And that was a blessing for me to have a family to miss. I know we don't always feel like our families are gifts. Sometimes families can be hard. And to be honest, my family is not perfect. The reality is sin has caused us all to love each other imperfectly. And ultimately, sin has caused our families to not be perfect either. 
Sin causes parents at times to not always act in loving ways to their children. Sin causes husbands and wives to not always honor their marriages. And sin causes even children like me to dishonor my parents at times. So what hope can we find in these broken relationships? What foundation can we stand upon when it feels like our families on earth don't measure up? Well, Paul draws us all to the ultimate family we're called into, one that is founded in a father who will never let us down, one in which we are led by his spirit to be transformed as people. So this morning, I want you to know that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are adopted into his family by his spirit. And this spirit makes us into sons and daughters of God that desire to live after him. So friends, because you are adopted as children of God by the Spirit, we must follow his authority, the Holy Spirit's authority, over any other. But the question becomes then, how do we follow the Holy Spirit, especially as children of God? Well, Paul in this passage gives us three main ways we can follow his Spirit. Firstly, we follow his Spirit by putting to death sin in our lives. Secondly, we follow the Spirit by rejoicing in an intimate relationship with the Father. And then third and finally, we follow the Spirit by living as co-heirs with Christ. So let's begin this morning by looking at that first reality, that we follow the Spirit by putting to death sin. Paul is very clear in verses 12 through 13 that we are called to turn from temptation. In fact, he says, we are not debtors to the flesh. We have been liberated from the sin of this world. That means you and me no longer have any obligation to follow our sinful desires. Instead, we have been given a freedom in Christ to follow him instead. Paul wants us to know we're not debtors to sin. We are now in Christ, meaning we belong to him. And the Holy Spirit should lead us in humble submittance to his authority. Paul says if we don't listen to the Spirit, if instead we listen to ourselves, there's grave consequences for that. Notice at the end of verse 13, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, this death can mean a lot of different things. First off, it can relate to how sin brings death to relationships. I think we can all say that sexual morality can ruin a marriage. It can also split up a family. We've seen how pride and selfishness can ruin deep friendships. And we've seen even in our own hearts how comparison can ruin our relationship with ourselves, how it can ruin my own sense of self-worth. But we take it a step further here. Paul is not just referring to death to relationships. He's also relating to a deeper one, a spiritual death one in which sin keeps us from living in joy and fulfillment that can only be found in Christ. You see, when we choose to live for other things apart from Jesus, we're choosing to live for things that won't satisfy us. We're choosing to live for the flesh. We see Jesus call out the Pharisees for living like this in John chapter 8. He actually calls them sons of the flesh because they lived for comparison. They lived for self-righteousness instead of humbly living in their Savior. The tricky part of sin is, is that it's deceptive. 
It lies to us that we can find something better than what the Lord can bring us. It lies to me that if I just have enough friends or I have enough success or if I have that perfect relationship or that perfect cash in my bank account, I'm going to somehow feel satisfied. And it, le- it leads us on this never-ending race of trying to make it, trying to find hope, when the only hope we're going to find is in the Spirit, in Christ, who is with us. You see, friends, if I chose to find my identity in something outside of Christ, I'm setting myself up for failure. I'm setting myself up to feel unfulfilled. It's like if I was hungry and I decided the only way I was going to feed myself was by eating a box of donuts over a full course meal. Don't get me wrong. I love donuts. That first bite is so nice. It fills you with sugar. It makes you feel good in the morning. But what's going to happen if you rely on donuts only for your every meal? If you're like me, if you eat a second or third donut, you're going to start to feel groggy and gross. Why? Because there's nothing sustaining in a donut. There's nothing that's going to fulfill you with that snack. If you're like me, you quickly trade the dessert for the meal that was actually going to strengthen your body. And in a lot of ways, that's what sin does to us. Sin promises it is going to fulfill and sustain you. But what it actually does is it just distracts you from the real thing that can fulfill your hunger. It distracts you from your hunger rather than dealing with it. But Jesus wants you to know this morning that you were called to come and feast in his love. The Holy Spirit tells you every morning to come to my table. Come and be satisfied in the way that only I can satisfy you. Don't run after these things that are going to leave you hurt and broken. They can't satisfy you. Only my love can. Tragically, though, friends, we are really good at ignoring this call. And at times, we live like we are debtors to sin rather than to Christ. So where do we find hope in this struggle? Where are we supposed to find our strength? Well, Paul is very clear in verse 13. He says, the only way any one of us can change is by the Spirit. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice the focus Paul makes here. He's not saying, I can defeat sin with my strength or that I can defeat sin with my plan. Instead, the only way any one of us can change is through the Spirit. The only way any one of us can put to death sin in our life is by the Lord's work in us. It is not founded in me to save myself. The only way I can turn from sin, the only way you can turn from sin this morning is by humbly submitting to Christ. Running from sin doesn't mean I depend on my strength. It's asking for his strength every day. Because you see, denying sin can be difficult. It can be even painful. It can require sacrifice. There's a reason why Paul says putting to death sin because we're putting to death things in our life we might actually enjoy or we might actually put so much of our purpose into. For instance, if we have a hunger for success and wealth, the Spirit may call us to set that aside so we can serve the poor and needy. If we are so consumed with our self-image that we can never acknowledge when we're wrong, 
we're going to hurt our friends and family. The Spirit may push us to humbly realize we need to ask forgiveness. Or our anger might be something we never want to fully acknowledge. But the Holy Spirit might be asking you this morning to acknowledge exactly that. You see, moving against sin can require sacrifice. We must submit to God to make us strong in that. Because you see, it's in this place of surrender that we truly change. Jesus told us that our best helper is the spirit he would send. And this spirit inclines our hearts to God's commands. It actually gives us a thirst for obedience. Meaning that I not only know what God wants from me, I delight in following it. And I naturally feel repulsed by sin. It won't feel like a worthless sacrifice to me to follow God because I desire to be like him. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you, friends. You're adopted into the family as soon as you believe, but that adoption is a lifelong process, one in which every day the Spirit is moving us to be more like our Father, to be truly his children. So friends, I want you to know Just because you're struggling with sin, because we all are, that doesn't mean God is failing you. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has departed from you. If you know that sin is wrong, if you feel conviction over it in your heart, that means the Holy Spirit is working on you today. That means he is residing in your heart. He has not given up on you. Because you see, when we repent, we're submitting to his authority. We're acknowledging something in our life needs to change, and we're asking him alone to change it. You see, we are saved by grace alone. So confession and repentance must be a part of our life. Perfection is not a staple of a Christian's life. We are called to perfection. We are called to righteousness, but the reality is we're going to fall short. And repentance and confession must be active parts of our life so we can fully submit to the Spirit's guidance over our own. Friends, we follow God's commands because it's the best way to protect us. It's the best way to keep us from this death, from this pain Paul talks about. So when you're following Christ, remember, what he's calling you to is for your benefit. It is for your protection. Because the world is so good at stealing what God intended for good. But friends, don't get me wrong. Our adoption is not just a call to obedience. It's actually a relationship. It's a joy that we can find fulfillment in. Which brings us to our second main point for today, that we follow the Spirit by rejoicing in our intimate relationship with the Father. Notice with me what Paul says in verse 15. He says that you did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul is saying that our relationship now with God is like a child who finds so much joy and love in their dad. Likewise, the father, God, is like a dad who sees us and rejoices in us because we are his children. This is an amazing connection we have. I think we sell that short. It certainly would have been shocking for the early Christians of Paul's day and for the Jews. 
You see, before Jesus, the people of God were forever separated from him by a barrier. They, God only resided in the Holy of Holies in the temple of Jerusalem, and the people were forced to live outside of it. The only way they could lift prayers up to God was by first offering blood sacrifices. And even then, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and pray on their behalf. The nation of Israel grieved for centuries that this barrier was between them. They longed for the day they'd be welcomed in, that they would be desired and welcomed as people who God saw as worthy of being in his presence. Well, friends, that day has come. Jesus has removed this barrier for us. He has made it a way so we can again stand in his presence. He's made it a way for us to lift up our prayers directly to the Father. Paul says we can literally say to God, Abba, which is the same term Jesus used when referring to his Lord, his Father in heaven. This term, Abba, is a title of trust and love. It's simply a word that a child would have used when they fully trusted their dad when they fully trusted that he would provide for them and fulfill them. For you see, friends, we too can call our God Abba because when we're in Christ, our relationship with him is established. We don't live as those in fear. We don't have a spirit of fear, as Paul says, because we know through Christ our debt has been paid. We don't live in this constant worry that every day God's going to become upset at us and smite us. No, his redemptive work has already been completed in Christ Jesus. Whatever work you bring now is because you delight in your father. Whatever work you bring now is for his purpose to bring more people to the faith. That is why Jesus is inviting us into this adoption himself. Notice how Nate just led us in the Lord's Prayer. That's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And notice how he told them to begin. He told them to say, our Father in heaven. Jesus was inviting them, just as he is inviting us this morning, to see our God as a Father who loves us where we are. Think about how a dad loves his child. A father will love his children because they are simply his. Likewise, a child will love in a father who loves him well because that father wipes away his tears. That father meets him in his weakness. That father helps him stand and go forward. In fact, the father loves simply because the child will never be able to repay him back. Instead, the father gives and gives because this child is his. You see, children love their dad because that father first loved him. And friends, today God loves you. God has adopted you. God grows you in his spirit simply because you are his. You are his creation. I know some of us might listen to that spirit of fear sometimes and think, have I done enough to earn my way into God's family? Maybe you look at your blemishes in life. You see your sins and say, who can look at me and love me? Who can look at me and look past my weaknesses? The answer is, the Father in heaven can do that. The one who formed you can do that. The one who sees his excellence 
and you can do that. Through Christ, we are invited into a love that will never let us go. Whatever your flaws are today, know that the Father's grace outweighs them. God adopts all of us when we believe. He adopts, he adopts unworthy adults. He adopts those of us struggling with addiction. He adopts those of us who are dealing with doubt or insecurity. And he adopts even those of us who have cursed his name in the past. I know it can be challenging for us to believe we're really accepted. I know even sometimes parents, it's hard to always embrace your child when they're doing things that hurt you. I know for me growing up, I struggled with ADHD and it made really listening and honoring my parents a struggle for me. And when I went to school, I wouldn't listen to my teachers either very well. And my mom, even though she was very frustrated in the ways that I would ignore her, she still met me in my struggle. She went and homeschooled me for two years so I could become a better student and so I could actually work through my struggle. That required a lot of my mom. She had to sacrifice freedom and energy and time to help me. And some days, she needed space. It wasn't always easy for her to embrace me. Well, friends, your Father in heaven, it is never difficult for him to embrace you. It is never difficult for him to meet you where you are. If you need encouragement from him today, he will bring it. He loves you in the struggle you are currently in. But hear me when I say this. He does want to push you to righteousness. He does want to help you change. He does want to help you be more like him. But his love is not dependent on who you become. His love is already dependent on what Christ has done to bring you redemption. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that Christ's work is done. Notice in verse 16, Paul says this, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Meaning that the spirit, when we doubt, can come to us and he can bring us assurance that we have been saved. I know at times as believers, we doubt our salvation. Growing up, for me, I doubted my salvation a lot right before I went to bed. I wondered if I wake up, was God's mercy enough for me if the world had ended? Well, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that his work is done, that he can come to our hearts and he can ease our worries. That is one of the beautiful gifts the Spirit promises to you and me. So are you in a place of fear this morning? If you are doubting your salvation, God says, simply ask for my assurance that my grace is enough and I will bring it. Ask for that assurance today if that is heavy on your heart this morning. Friends, let's be confident in praying for that, but also be confident in praying for everything. Let's be believers that trust that our God is a father that genuinely listens to his children. And let's bring others to this father because we live in a world of people who are desperate for acceptance, desperate for a love of the Savior that we have. Let's be willing to bring our lost brothers and sisters to this truth. And let's trust that the Holy Spirit will speak through us even if we fail to show that love well. Finally, friends, when it comes to being a child of God, 
and trusting in our intimate relationship with God, we should also respect each other as mutual brothers and sisters. There should be no division in our church. We are united in one family by one thing, the Spirit. That means just as there is no longer Jew or Gentile in Jesus' day, there can be no division among us just because of differences in our appearance, our social status, our politics, our race. Nothing should separate us as children of God. Let's seek that unity in a country that loves to separate. Let's seek to love each other no matter what our differences are because we are in one household this morning. We are all waiting for a great inheritance. We are all waiting together for the Lord to return. Which brings us to our third point today, that we are fellow co-heirs with Christ. What does that mean for us though? What does that mean to be a co-heir with Christ? Well, firstly, that means we are found completely in him. Jesus paved the way for us to be saved. He covered you in his blood. That means when Christ looks at you, or sorry, when the Father looks at you, he sees his son. He sees you and me, and he delights in us because he sees his perfect son living through us. So being a co-heir with Christ means I stand in him. I represent him, and his spirit speaks through me. We receive an inheritance because we are co-heirs with Christ, one we do not deserve. So what does that inheritance look like? Well, firstly, this inheritance will come fully when the new heavens and new earths arise, when God returns and we are given new heavenly bodies where we can live righteously without sin and we will delight to embrace Jesus before us and we will commune, commune with God for all eternity. But this inheritance is not just a gift we look forward to. It's a provision you and me can delight in today. For you see, this inheritance gives us assurance that we have been saved, but it also gives you wisdom when you need it. Scripture tells us we can ask the Spirit to give us wisdom, and He will provide it. The Spirit also says He will give us strength in the midst of struggle. The Spirit also tells us when we need help in our prayer life, when we need guidance to pray in ways that glorify God, the Spirit says He will step in and aid us in this process. Friends, if you don't know how to pray at times, if you go to your prayer time and you feel like the pain in your heart is too much, that you don't know how to put your needs into words, Paul tells us the Spirit speaks on your behalf in those moments. The Spirit knows the pain in your heart. He can communicate what you're going through perfectly to the Lord. Something that I always loved about my sister as a mother was that she could always understand what her infant children needed. Even if they were simply just grunting or groaning, my, mother, my sister seemed to know exactly what they were saying. She's, she like had this supernatural ability or superpower to translate a child screaming as, I'm hungry or I need water. Amazingly, it seems like she always could translate those groanings perfectly. Well, friends, that's what the Spirit does for you and me. When we come to prayer with simply just our pain, simply just our exhaustion, the Spirit hears it clearly. 
He sits with us in that moment and he brings our needs to the Lord. The Lord will answer our needs every time. It may not look the way that you want it to, but he responds to our prayers according to his will. We are called to trust him no matter how much his will differs from our needs. Friends, that's the beautiful part of having his spirit as our inheritance this morning. But there's a flip side to being a co-heir with Christ. We don't just await his coming glory. We also stand in suffering for his sake. See the end of verse 17 for me. Paul says, we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, part of receiving your inheritance means you walk in the ways Jesus walked. Remember what Christ did. Christ spent his ministry as a suffering servant for friends who he knew would betray him and turn their backs on him. He served people who would simply go about their day after helping them, and they would forget what he had done for them. And he took on the cross and scored shame for you and me that we could be saved. Friends, in the same way, you and me now are called to follow in his footsteps. We are called to serve a world that at times ridicules and persecutes us for our faith. But the beautiful thing is, as we take on this calling to serve this world, Jesus tells us that his spirit is with us every step of the way. The spirit that empowered him to deny Satan in the desert is the same spirit that aids you now. So when hardship comes your way, don't be shocked. Don't use it as a reason to question God's love, but know that there is a purpose and know God is standing beside you in that hardship, that he will give you the strength you need. You see, friends, our journey as a Christian on earth is very similar to the journey of a marathon runner. This athlete might train months and even years to accomplish their goal. It's way easier for them to walk a marathon than run one, but they know that the goal is worth it. And when they cross the finish line, they're given a medal to represent that they withstood the odds, that they remained faithful, that they trust the process. In the same way, you and me are called to trust the process. We are called to have faith in times of suffering. And when we remain faithful, we too will be crowned. We too will be given glory with Christ. The amazing part for us, though, that's different than a marathon runner, is that our accomplishment is not based on our ability. Our accomplishment is only based on how the Spirit strengthens us, on the Spirit's movement in us. Your faith is not yours. It is the Lord's. He establishes your faith in your heart. He grows you in it. It is completely in his hands. That is why the great philosopher Augustine put it this day, this way, when God crowns your merits, he's not crowning anything but his own gifts. You see, friends, the spirit will give you endurance when you ask for it. He will give you affection in the midst of suffering. He will give you a hope for the future when you ask for it. So be willing to come to him today. Be willing to rejoice that he will bring you to completion because he has brought a good work in you. 
So in closing today, friends, let's rejoice in the fact that we are children of God. Let's trust the Spirit will lead us in putting to death sin. Let's rejoice in the fact that we have a Father who loves us as his children. And finally, let's be co-heirs with Christ. Let's look forward to our coming salvation while also serving and loving people just as he first loved us. Join me in prayer as we rejoice in that. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we are your children. Thank you so much that you have not given up on us and that you will not give up on us. I pray today, Lord, that we would know that you love us and care for us. And I pray that whatever keeps us from rejoicing in you, we'd be willing to submit that to you, be willing to bring our pain, bring our questions, and allow you to meet us in that place. Thank you for all that you do today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. Amen.